So reading Matthew 16, verses uh, 21 to 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Great. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you speak to us because you love us. And please help us now to listen and to change. Amen. Well, the story is told of four adventurers who came into possession of a map to the lost city of gold. A map to the lost city of gold that would make them richer than their wildest dreams. They'd be set up for life. But there was a twist. The map said that the only way to get to the city of gold was through a deadly mountain range. A mountain range so deadly it was said that no one could get through there alive. And so the four groups of explorers set off. But three of them decided that the map's route was too risky and decided to go their own way. One of them, one of them decided to sail down a nice, calm-seeming river. But around the bend, it became choppy, and there were rapids, and they were lost. Group two thought, well, why not try this lush rainforest on the way? Lots of food on the way to the city of gold. But also, that, that rainforest included lots of dangerous animals, and they were lost. Group three figured they could get there in just over a day on this warm, sunny valley path. But by the time the sun set, it became freezing, and they were lost. Group four alone followed the map's route and braved the deadly mountain range. And it was tough. They came within an inch of losing their lives. But in the end, they made it to the city of gold, rich beyond their wildest dreams, set up for life. Well, this morning we're continuing our series in following Jesus, and today we're asking, how do we get to life? What what way do we go to get to rich, lasting, glorious life in the end? That's what Jesus is going to tell us. And we need to pay attention because 
the way he sets out for us seems unlikely. We won't think it'll work. But he assures us that his way is the way to get life, to gain everything. And any other path we might take means that we will lose everything. That takes us to Jesus' words to his disciples there in, in verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus must go through death to life. Must. That's a strong must. Did you notice what he must do? Must go to Jerusalem, must suffer many things, must be killed, must be raised to life. I imagine that's not particularly shocking to lots of us. Lots of us grew up celebrating Easter. We know the Easter story. Even if you're not a Christian yourself, you might join in the celebrations, even if it's just eating a chocolate egg or two or five. Easter, it's normal for us. The Easter story that Jesus died and rose again, we know it, we're used to it. But Jesus' first disciples, before it all happened, they weren't used to it. It was unthinkable. Jesus didn't come to to die and suffer. He came to kick out the Romans and lead his people to victory. That's what the Messiah came to do. And so verse 22, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter, he doesn't shy away from saying what he thinks. We all know someone like that, don't we? I wonder, how did Peter talk Jesus, try to talk Jesus out of it? Come on, Jesus, don't be rash. Suffering and dying, that's a bit extreme. What's that going to achieve? That's beneath you, Jesus. You're better than that. Don't be so hasty. Stay safe. Look after yourself. And I'm sure Peter meant well, but Jesus' reaction couldn't be stronger. Verse 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, when you talk to me like that, you are a mouthpiece for Satan. You are doing the devil's work, trying to tempt me away from this thing I must do. If we were in Peter's shoes, we might think, Jesus, I'm your friend. I'm just looking out for what's best for you. I want you to be safe and successful. But Jesus says, that isn't God's way of thinking. That is sinful humanity's way of thinking. Satanic. In other words, when Jesus says he must suffer and die, he really means it. You know, it's, it's not like when you say to someone, oh, we really must have you over for dinner sometime. And that's a pretty flimsy must, isn't it? In fact, you, you could be thinking the exact opposite, couldn't you? You say, we must have you over for dinner. In your head, you could really be thinking, we, we must not have this person over for dinner. But with Jesus, when he says he must suffer and die, he means it. And he won't tolerate anything or anyone who gets in the way. And I imagine that if we were to go around the room today in a socially distanced fashion, or go around the rooms watching online, 
Most of us would wholeheartedly agree to that. Yes, Jesus must go through death to life. Jesus' death is a must. I mean, if Jesus doesn't die for us, we're going to hell. Take the cross out of Christianity and we're left with, but what are we left with? No forgiveness, no grace, no hope. In fact, if we were to do a whole church survey and ask, what, what is it about the Christian faith that is most central, most precious to you? I reckon many of us would say this, the cross, Jesus' death. And we're so glad about the cross, we sing about it. That song we had earlier, come praise and glorify our God who gives his grace in Christ. In him our sins are washed away, redeemed through sacrifice. Isn't that wonderful? It's Jesus' death that washes our sins away. Not one sin comes between us and God because Jesus died for us. Or that other song we sing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upwards I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because this sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't listen to Peter and his satanic temptation? Aren't you glad that he went through with it? Jesus says he must die, and we say, Amen. But there's a twist in the tale. We love having the cross as our get-out-of-jail-free card, the thing that means we are saved for free. But when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't just getting us a get-out-of-jail-free card. He was giving us an example to follow. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Perhaps we don't get the horror of crucifixion. We put crosses on our necklaces. Someone said to me, that is like putting an electric chair around your neck. You know, the cross was designed to be an instrument of execution, to be as slow and, and, and humiliating and painful as possible, hanging there naked, slowly suffocating. It was so horrible, it was reserved for slaves and the worst criminals. And that is what Jesus went through for us. But the first time Jesus says someone must take up their cross, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about his followers. In other words, it's not just Jesus who must go through death to life. Jesus' followers must go through death to life. Listen again to what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Maybe you're a visual learner and uh, you find it easier to, to, to get along with, with visual stuff than, than words. Well, if that's the case, then I can only apologize because this visual aid is, is pretty terrible. But here's what we've got. Jesus says he must go through death to life. He must go via the cross to enter life. And then it's like Peter says, well, Jesus, can't you skip the death part? Can't you leapfrog the cross? 
And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. No, I must go via the cross to enter life. And now he's saying the same is true for his followers. Jesus, can't we skip the cross? Can't can't we leapfrog it? No, Jesus says following him means going through death to life. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, when Jesus Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him come and die. Now, I should clarify what kind of death Jesus is talking about. In some cases, it means literally losing our lives. That's how it is for many Christians around the world. Sign up to Barnabas Fund or something like that, and every week you'll get news in your email inbox, something like this. 50 Christians killed in Nigeria. Pastor shot in cold blood. Christians sentenced to death for breaking blasphemy laws. There are places where following Jesus can get you killed. And that's what it means for many people being prepared to die. But for all of us, following Jesus means dying to self. I don't know, maybe, maybe sometimes you've wondered to yourself, what would I do if someone put a gun to my head and asked, are you a Christian? Would I be prepared to die for Jesus? I guess we don't really know unless it happens to us. But there is another question. Am I prepared to live for Jesus? Am I willing every day in a hundred different ways to, to put living for Jesus ahead of living for myself, to say no to myself and live for him, even though it feels like, like a death? That's the kind of death we're all called to, dying to ourselves. What does that mean in practice? Well, think of what it meant for Jesus to deny himself. Taking up the shame of the cross meant denying the desire for glory from other people. Taking up the rejection of the cross meant denying the desire for acceptance and popularity. Taking up the suffering of the cross meant denying the desire for comfort. And so for us to deny ourselves is to be willing to endure suffering and rejection and humiliation for Jesus' sake to put following Jesus above comfort and glory and living my own way. And our old approval-seeking, comfort-craving, self-protecting selves will writhe and kick and scream. They'll talk like Peter, steady on, stay safe, look after yourself. But we're to put our feet down, Jesus says, and say no. What will that look like for you? What does that look like in real life? Here are a few things to give us a flavor. At 3 a.m., when the baby's crying, and that voice says, you did it last night, it's their turn. Denying yourself and being the one to go and get up. When the bonus comes through and that voice says, think of all the nice things you could get for yourself, a holiday, a new wardrobe, Denying yourself and using that money for other people. When you've done something you're not proud of and that voice says, don't tell anyone, protect yourself. Denying yourself 
and confessing that embarrassing sin. When people at school are making fun of Christians and that voice says, stay safe, don't put yourself in the firing line, denying yourself and saying, I follow Jesus. Denying yourself. And if we think that sounds like hard work, what difference does it make? Jesus wants us to know that it makes all the difference in the world. That's what he's saying in verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. At first glance, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? But in there, there's a warning and a promise. The warning is the first half, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And what Jesus is telling us is that it's easier to lose your soul than we think. You know, think, think of those stories where people sell their souls to the devil. You know, what do they do? They, they, they summon him and, and make an oath and, and sacrifice a goat or, or something like that. It's all very deliberate and thought through. But Jesus is saying, no, it's a lot easier than that. All you have to do to lose your soul is to live a nice, comfortable life instead of denying yourself and following me. You just have to try to hold on to your life for yourself, and in the end, you'll lose it. Or imagine someone comes to you, and, and they come to you, maybe it's your friend or your child, and they say, I want to go be a missionary in Nigeria, or I want to take a year out to do ministry. And you say to them, Nigeria, that, that's a bit extreme. They, they kill Christians there. Or, or taking a year out to do ministry, it's not going to do wonders for your CV, is it? And if that's what we say to our friend or our child, do we realize we might be playing fast and loose with their souls, tempting them to save themselves, being a mouthpiece for Satan? I just want them to have a nice, happy life. What about their souls? Listen to Jesus' questions in verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, when Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, he doesn't want us to hate ourselves. He's saying, no, think about what's really in your self-interest. Think about your soul. In these strange times, it's right that we're, we're taking all these precautions to look, to look out for each other. But maybe we need reminding that there is something better than a long, healthy life. And there is something worse than death. Think about your soul. In these, there's nothing you could give. There's nothing you could gain that is worth losing them for. That pleasure, that relationship, that nice lifestyle, anything that we put over following Jesus, anything we hold on to instead of him, in the end, we will look at it and say, I lost my soul for this? How insane. In his book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper writes this, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. 
Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise in their 30-foot yacht, play softball, and collect shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That's the warning. Think about your soul. Wonderfully, the promise is the exact opposite. If we do give ourselves to Jesus, instead of losing everything, we will gain everything. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. There's a great picture of this, someone who gets to heaven, and they, they go to their heavenly study, and they sit down, and they look at their bookshelves. And as they're looking at their books, they realize that every book on their heavenly bookshelf is, is a book that they give away during their life. Every book on there, now theirs, forever. And that's just a picture, but the idea is wonderfully true. Anything we give up to Jesus, even our very selves, in the end, we won't lose it. We will find it, have it forever. And that includes every Friday night given up to help with youth group, every hour given up to care for a relative, every tear shed battling sin, every penny sacrificed for the gospel, Every insult for following Christ met with grace. There will be no sacrifice, no loss that isn't made up for. Like Jesus says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. No sacrifice for Jesus' sake will go unrewarded. Look at Jesus himself. He went through death. Now he has life and glory forever. Earlier I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Christian opposed to Hitler in Nazi Germany for his, because of his faith, and it cost him a lot. Lost his job, ended up in prison. He couldn't be with the woman he loved. Eventually, it cost him his life. But he knew he was following in Jesus' footsteps. I love his last words as he's taken off to be executed. This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Jesus leads us through death to life. What will that look like for you to walk through that, that hard mountain range that leads to life instead of taking another path that leads to death? Let's be quiet for a few moments. What will it mean for you And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you were willing to deny yourself and take up your cross. We praise you for that, Lord Jesus. And please help us to do the same. We need your help. Please help us today, this week, to know that following you, whatever the cost, is more gain then walking away, whatever we get. Please help us to trust you, we ask, and follow you. Amen.